I love you. I forgive you. Come follow me. When those words came clearly into the mind of then-university student Mark Tracy in answer to prayer, his life changed. Today, he is Father Mark, a Catholic priest and National Guard chaplain. This is his story. This is God Unites, Finding Spiritual Unity in Religious Diversity. Welcome to this episode of God Unites, where we explore spiritual kinship with people of diverse religious backgrounds and perspectives. As those who have listened to previous episodes know, but for the benefit of any who are joining today for the first time, the central premise of this program is that while religious beliefs and doctrines among people may differ, we're all children of the same God. And as we draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. In a world of contention and division, the Spirit of God unites. Today, in that spirit, our guest is Father Mark Tracy, a Catholic priest serving as a parish pastor in Decatur, Illinois, and who also serves as chaplain for the Illinois National Guard. Father Mark, welcome to God Unites. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, uh, love what you said there about the premise of that we are focusing on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, kind of uniting us and gathering us together. That's uh, Jesus' desire as well. So it's a joy to be with you. Well, it's really good to have you here. Now, as as we discussed before we started recording here, I watched a episode of a podcast that's put out by the uh, Spring, the Catholic Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, in which you told your story of how you made the decision to become a priest. And that's an interesting backstory about your faith journey. And we want to hear that story and to hear where that decision <laughs> yeah. has led you today, both in your relationship with God and in your service to others. And we'll also be interested in what lessons you've learned along the way that can help the rest of us as we find our ways along our own spiritual paths. So, if you don't mind, let's start with the backstory. Tell us about that. Sure. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, a little bit about my story. As I was raised Catholic, the, the term in Catholic religion you'll hear sometimes is cradle Catholic, meaning that we are baptized as babies and raised in the faith. Um, and so I was kind of joke around with people that it's interesting to hear a priest's backstory because sometimes Catholics or even non-Catholics think that we were just born as a baby in a collar, you know, that we're a priest from birth. But really, we come from a family and different background and kind of show my family's history, too. I was born on, on Halloween. My mom wanted me born on All Saints Day, which is November 1. And so the joke in the family is kind of like, was he a trick or a treat? You know, uh, the jury's still out. Priesthood helps a little bit. But as I said, raised uh, in a Catholic family, a cradle Catholic. My mom was Nazarene before she converted to Catholicism. She converted after she married my dad. And my dad was raised in this big Catholic family of 12 children. And so we went to Sunday Mass growing up. I went to a small Catholic grade school. And then we were such a small town. It was Mount Sterling, Illinois, a town of 2000. So there's no, there's no Catholic high school, you know, it's just one high school for the county. So I went to public high school 
and there wasn't one particular thing. I just kind of, I stopped, stopped praying. I started drifting away from God. I think a lot of people at that age could relate to that. Oh yeah. You know, there's something most teenagers have that experience, right? Where we, <laughs> I think we got life figured out and things like that. But yeah, as I said, there's no particular one thing. I just kind of started drifting away. Just different priorities started taking over, whether it be dating or sports or friends. And so I only went to mass kind of when my parents made to, made me to. And as I mentioned, just kind of stopped praying there. And that led right into college, you know, that first week in a college at University of Illinois, I slept in and <laughs> the two years went by, you know, didn't go to mass, didn't pray, anything like this. And just as I said, it wasn't one particular thing that kind of led me to drift. There was no particular thing that made me just kind of question, but I started questioning about two years into it. You know, I'm doing everything that everyone's telling me it's going to make me happy. I, I'm getting ready for my career. I'm, I'm dating. I'm living the college scene, going out for one night of fun. I, I'm doing everything they tell me. And I just wasn't fulfilled. <laughs> and when I woke up several times, I just felt empty. I just wondered, is this it? Is this all there is? Like, am I just going to continue this way forever? And <laughs> I made a crucial mistake. My mom came for, I can't remember what the weekend, but if you, I think you're familiar with U of I, University of Illinois basketball, they used to be really good and they're better now, but they had this decade where they were pretty bad. And so my mom and dad came for a game. They played Michigan State, figured they'd lose, but they won. And the next day we go to, to Mass, they wanted to go to Mass, Catholic Mass. And there wasn't anything particular that Monsignor Ketchum said or did. It was just who he was, the way he carried himself. There was a joy, a peace, a love that he had that I knew I didn't. And it <laughs> made me mad. <laughs> it just kind of upset me. I was like, this guy doesn't have anything that they tell me will make me happy. And he's more joyful than I. And that's where I said the crucial mistake happened. I told my mother that. <laughs> and she set up an appointment with Monsignor Ketchum without telling me. So I get this in my smartphone and email that I have an appointment. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. So I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And so I go there. And I'm just kind of going through kind of things I shared. And he was just so patient, so attuned. But then at the end... He just kind of invited me, not forcefully, but just kind of invited me to something different. He said, what you're searching for, Mark, is a relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Are you willing just to take a step? Little did I know he meant that literally. <laughs> He's like, let's take a step. Let's join this Bible study. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. Let's see how this goes. So he literally walks me down the hall a couple steps into this Bible study and this is a Bible study done by FOCUS, uh, which means Fellowship of Catholic University Students. It's similar to other denominations, maybe um, Campus Crusades, I think, is one, or like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, these type of things. So there's like missionaries that are like 22 to 30 out of college. Um, they run the Bible study. And the Bible study was like 8 to 10 people my age, 2022. And they were so patient with me, but they also had that same joy that Monsignor Ketchum had. I was like, huh, there must be something here. 
So I walk with that for the next few months. You know, I wouldn't say I'm like fully back to prayer, back to mass, having this dynamic uh, relationship with God. But he just kind of walking with me and would answer any questions, these type of things. And then as we roll into my junior year there, I'm 21, they start inviting me to this focus conference. So it'll be 12 to 15,000 people there. I was like, I'm not going. And I told them no, like repeatedly. And they kept inviting me. And then the kicker was they're like, we'll pay for half. And I was like, oh, well, that does entice it. So I go there, it's in uh, Nashville, Illinois, and there's literally, there's 12,000 college-age kids there. Amazing time. It was like three days, dynamic speakers. But the moment that changed everything in my life was when we went to adoration that night. And if you're not familiar for Catholics, adoration is this privileged time of prayer. It comes from, as Catholics, we believe Jesus gave us seven sacraments. And so one of the sacraments is the Eucharist that we believe that Jesus instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper, that it's uh, Jesus' body and blood. And so that's celebrated at the Mass. But outside of Mass, there's some hosts, the Eucharistic hosts that are kept in the tabernacle. And at certain points, then, from the tabernacle, a priest brings out that Eucharistic host and puts it on a monstrance. It's a stand and puts on the altar for us to pray. And I'd never been that quiet in my life you know there's loud ruckus Twelve thousand college kids all silent Twelve thousand and silent silent silence the priest comes up in the procession with the servers the you know there's a few hymns to start with and then as they what we call expose the blessed sacrament bring the blessed sacrament to the altar place them in place jesus in the monstrance the eucharistic jesus it's everyone's kneeling, everyone's silent. And I'd never been that quiet in my life. And that's where the Lord like spoke into my life. So I heard distinctly after a few moments of being prayerfully silent, Jesus just say, I love you. I forgive you. Come follow me. And I just sat there with that voice, sat there with that love, that mercy that I'd never experienced in my life and all kind of changed from there. Well, let me ask you a question. You say that Christ, Jesus Christ, spoke to you. Now, was that with an audible voice? I assume that's not what you're referring to, but can you explain? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, sometimes when we we speak about that, uh, yeah, people do wonder, is that audible or inaudible? Yeah, I think that God speaks to us in so many different ways. But that night when I was in that silence of adoration, is that point where I could be silent in my spirit. Um, by that, I mean my soul. And so it wasn't a loud, audible voice. It was like speaking to my heart, to my soul. And I heard the words just clearly spoken to my mind, my heart, and my soul that I love you, I forgive you, come follow me. Did that come to you in the form of those words? Mm -hmm. Or are you describing feelings that came to you inarticulate yeah no that came in those words i will never forget those words yeah those are the distinct words that i that I heard our uh jesus speak to me it's, in your uh, mind and in your heart yeah yeah just um yeah that's just, the spirit of revelation and i think it's yeah. important for people to understand that that 
God does speak to us through our minds and in our hearts. It's kind of a blend of thought and feeling. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience, yeah. my own experience that led me to join my church, the Church of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. of Latter-day Saints. And in fact, it was at the University of Illinois. Oh. <laughs> you know, when I was a student there, not far from probably where you, you know, paths you walked as I was walking across the quadrangle and I'd been praying about whether to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'd previously been baptized in a Protestant denomination and I felt like my prayers had been answered a couple of times that day. Once at the YMCA lounge around the corner here there from the Newman Center, which you probably frequented. Oh yeah, yes. And then up at the Alina Union, one of the lounge areas. So I'm walking across the quadrangle and I, I just stopped and stepped off to the side, spring morning, and students all over kind of wandering on the sidewalk and sitting on the grass, as you can imagine, probably, and just prayed and asked, Heavenly Father, I don't mean to bug you. I feel like you've answered my question twice already, but I really need to be sure. Should I be baptized? And words came into my mind. If you want to be David Risley, you should be baptized. Now, that was an interesting experience. It wasn't a voice, but I still remember those words. It sounds to me like you are describing the same sort of experience Mm -hmm. where a message came to you that was articulate spiritually, that you can recall in, in words, yeah, it absolutely. touched you deeply. Oh, yeah. It shook me to my core. Because I said it, it, it's a voice speaking to our, our soul, to our mind, kind of what you're describing. And it makes sense when we think about God as spirit. So it doesn't have to be a loud, audible voice. God can speak straight to our soul. It's a spirit spirit speaking to a spirit. There's no audible words needed. You know, it's it's something even more profound than that, really. So. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that puts more words kind of describe what I experienced as well. We sometimes refer to it as a still, small voice. It's not loud, but it's sometimes quite clear. Other times, maybe not as clear, but maybe enticing or something. But anyway, I want to hear, I I just wanted to pause, hit the pause button right there to have you explain that, because I think that's important, what you experienced and how you experienced it. But then... What did that lead to? What came next? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad that you paused it there. There's that small, still voice of Elijah, you know, uh, speaking to us. But it just speaks of the the personal love that God has for us. That's just so radical uh, that, there, you know, there's like, what, 7 billion people or whatever, but God loves us personally. And so that personal love, when I heard that voice, it just shook me. It was a love I never experienced and so I sat in that that voice, that voice speaking with me. And then from there, I just felt moved to go to the sacrament of confession. So it's one of our seven sacraments as Catholics. It's this privileged spot that we believe that Jesus instituted for our sins to be forgiven. So we just kind of take our concrete sins that we want to bring the Jesus, speak them to him, and then receive his absolution, his mercy, his forgiveness. And so shortly after receiving that that mercy in the confessional, then we had mass that evening. And, you know, there's still 12,000 people there. Very beautiful liturgy, uh, the Catholic mass. And just prayed it. And it was like I'd, 
surrendered myself and prayed the mass for the first time you know sometimes when you're growing up as a kid you know a teenager you're kind of punk you just kind of go through the motions uh, but i really entered in and prayed and when i received the eucharist that night at communion time just felt that same love mercy that i felt when that still voice spoke to me and i was like at that moment i said my life cannot be the same i'm not going back to what i used to do so when I got back on campus, I met with a Focus missionary. Uh, so Focus is that fellowship of Catholic University students that had the conference. They have missionaries who are kind of just out of college, like 22 to 30 years old. And they're the ones that run these Bible studies. They go out to reach out to people, these type of things. I just kind of went up to them and they said, I want you to teach me how to pray. I want to spend more time with this guy, Jesus, who spoke with me. So he was wonderful, walked me through some different prayer methods, and my life just started taking off from there. I was 21. I started praying every day with the scriptures for about 30, 20, 30 minutes. He taught me a couple of different methods with that. Started going to daily mass about two times a week and then Sunday mass every week. Uh, started going to the confession probably once a month or so, every four to six weeks. And then another big impact on my life was in the Catholic Church, we have saints that are kind of models for us of how to follow Jesus concretely in your life. And I just started reading their lives and it's it's the same theme over and over again. The joy I saw in men, senior Ketchum, then the joy I saw in the missionaries and the other students, then the joy I saw in these saints, I'm like, I want some of that. And they said the key to joy is to grow this relationship with God. And as you do that, then you give that love away. So it's like this, this dialogue almost. So you receive the love of God, and then you give that love away. I've sometimes referred to that as the path to God is an inward journey that leads outward. Yeah, that's beautifully put, yeah. Yeah, it's like you uh, become a conduit, a vessel. For us as Catholics, we treasure uh, Mary and St. Joseph as kind of being that, that Mary brought forth Jesus, the Son of God, that she was a vessel of, of she received love and give love, and St. Joseph receiving that mission out of love and giving it. So, yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it. So, yeah, then I just kept growing. So, it had been, so then 21, so junior year and senior year, just grew in my relationship with Christ and, and grew at the Newman Center there, which is just amazing Newman Center. And then, just like I don't know, it just kind of started coming up in prayer like priesthood just came. As I read the Lives of Saints, as I continue my prayer, it I didn't try to think about it. I didn't want to be a priest. It just kept coming up. And I kept ignoring it, making excuses, rattling off a litany of excuses. Um, like I told one priest, I was like, I'm too young. And he's like, oh, so you don't think God deserves your youth? I was like, well, that's a good point. <laughs> And then I told Monsignor Ketchum some excuses I had to about my mistakes I made or my unworthiness or not smart enough or stuff like that. And he's like, well, no one's worthy. <laughs> yeah, there's only one who's worthy. Yeah, absolutely. So they kind of helped me break down those things. And then all of a sudden, like people started telling me, have you thought about being a priest? And I was like, man, God, <laughs> you want to give me a little bit of a break here? Uh, so I just kept. <laughs> Sitting with it, it just kept coming up. This is like, I'm about to finish up U of I, I'm 22, about to graduate. And it just kept coming up. And then one day, I just 
finally just decided to speak. Like I was telling everyone else's my excuses of not becoming a priest, but I never really concretely kind of related and spoke those kind of soul to soul, spirit to spirit with God. And when I did that, when I just spoke them out loud, that same peace and joy that I felt when I first heard a couple of years ago, Jesus speak to me like that, is that that's the, the peace and joy that I experienced again. And I did physically out loud say like, I want to be a priest. I realized that God wasn't forcing upon me. God would still love me if I didn't become a priest. But I realized he was inviting me to because it, at the depth of my soul, I wanted to. I wanted to give my life away in that way. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. I mean, this, this is really, I think, important also, what you were experiencing here. First of all, you, you told me, you told us that you're struggling with this idea. Should I, you feel these enticings that you should become a priest. You're probably thinking, uh, is this just coincidence that people are walking up to me and saying, you should become a priest, you know, or, or something else involved. But you still haven't, even though you're praying, you haven't taken it up with God. It yeah. makes me wonder whether you were afraid of maybe what the answer would be. Yes, it's amazing what we do to avoid <laughs> and distract <laughs> ourselves. So I was going to pray, uh, and I was praying about all kinds of things, you know, having a good conversation with God, but I wasn't praying about one thing that was kind of the elephant in the room, you know? <laughs> You're kind of ducking and weaving. <laughs> yeah, so like we'd have a good conversation in prayer, and then this would come up, and I'd be like, ah, well, I'm going to duck that one today. And finally, I was just like, that's dumb. I just need to speak. I just need to tell God everything. God already knows it and just be vulnerable and just sort through what I was feeling, um, what I was thinking about it. And that made all the difference in the world. I wish I would have done it sooner. Well, you know, that's interesting because you're right. God already knows what you're, what you're thinking, what you're going through. So it's not so much informing God as you prayed, as much as being honest with yourself as you prayed. And then you said you found yourself actually saying, I want to become a priest. Yeah. Now, was that something you were saying to God, or was that something you were saying to yourself? I think to both. Yeah, yeah, to both. Uh, it was kind of my acknowledgement of like, oh wow, like this isn't a force thing. Like I want to do this. So it was acknowledgement to myself, but also it was kind of like a a mini commitment of not like I was laying down my life then and becoming a priest, but a mini commitment of like. Lord, I trust you. Like, I want to be a priest. Well, where did that lead you next? <laughs> yeah. So I was 22, finished up U of I. I moved to Indianapolis for a little bit, doing a little internship job there. Because uh, I technically finished up classes in December. Uh, usually people finish up in May. So I'm in Indianapolis, and I just kind of begin the formal process. At first, I thought I was going to be called to be a religious priest. So in the Catholic world, it's kind of funny when I talk with people, I'm like, well, I was discerning whether to be religious or a, a diocesan priest. And they're like, not all priests are religious. <laughs> I was like, well, yes, but it's different categories. It takes some so religious, Yeah. So the easiest way to describe religious priests are just like to name them because uh, people usually have experienced them. So like Jesuits, Franciscans, Dominicans, like Franciscans, you see brown habits. Mother Teresa is very famous, right? She was a religious sister. 
So men and women are part of religious orders. Her order was uh, missionaries of charity. So there's all these different orders. They come from what St. Paul talks about, the charisms of the Holy Spirit. How there's different charisms and gifts. These orders have specific charisms they do. Some are more contemplative cloisters, some are more active working in hospitals or teaching universities, living out these different charisms. So I thought I was going to be called to be kind of a religious priest uh, missionary. And that's kind of what I thought I first wanted, because I don't know, I just wanted to go far away. And, you know, you read the lives of saints kind of do that. But I went and I visited the Franciscans. I visited the um, the Jesuits and then uh, the Vincentians who are founded by St. Vincent de Paul in France. Uh, they do a lot of outreach with those going through poverty and stuff like that. And I had great times with them. And I thought this is going to be it. <laughs> and it just, the only way I can describe it, it just didn't feel like home. When I was there, it just, I didn't get that feeling of home, that feeling of, this is right. Like, this is where I'm, this is where I need to be. It's kind of a gut thing, but I also think that God speaks that way too into our, our thoughts and feelings as we already discussed. And so I was like, okay, well, I didn't really want to be a diocesan priest. Diocesan priest is typically what most people think of, of like a pastor, a uh, parish priest. Those are the people most people encounter. Ministering uh, to a congregation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I was like, well, I'll meet with the vocation director and vocation director is just somebody who helps men and women as they discern their vocations in the church. And they're typically in charge of seminarians and direct women to different religious orders, kind of help them through that process. But anyways, I meet with the vocation director and again, the the only way I can describe it, it just felt right. It felt, wow, this, this feels home. This feels where God wants me. I could anticipate that's what you were going to say. You yeah. felt like this was your spiritual home. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. It's, it's, it, it, to me, that's another way that God sometimes speaks to us in that sort of situation. Mm -hmm. You find your absolutely. spiritual home. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I began the formal application process. People might not be familiar with this Catholic priesthood. It's kind of a rigorous process now to apply for different reasons. Uh, one of them is people probably are aware of the, the unfortunate, the scandals in the church with priests, which are awful. And the church wants to be purified of that and really uh, work against that. And so it's more rigorous now to join. You go through psychological testing. There's some essays, but it's a, it's like a six, eight month process just to start with. Uh, so you go through that whole process and the whole time the Lord just kept me in that peace and joy ready for seminary. So then in 2012, I go off to seminary in St. Minred and they talk about discernment. Discernment is trying to listen to the voice of God and then to reject other voices that are not from God. And so they kind of talked about just take it a year at a time, a year at a time, process it. Is this still where the Lord wants me? And at the end of each year of those six years of formation, that's where the Lord wanted me. It just, it constantly felt right, felt at home. As I got to know the priesthood better, it seemed to be a natural fit, seemed to be what God had kind of made me for. Um, as I started doing more of the ministry that I would do one day, it just clicked, it felt right. And there's different points. There was one time where I, I was getting a little nervous uh, as my fourth year in, like, oh boy, am I really going to do this? 
and I was on retreat. Uh, you do a retreat every year. Catholic priest does at least a five-day retreat. It can be silent or semi-silent. This one was a silent retreat for me. So that means I wasn't talking to anybody except my spiritual director once a day. And I got nervous. And for, as I mentioned earlier, Catholics have a devotion to Mary as kind of the reverence, her her role in salvation, just being the mother of the Son of God and this type of thing, that she displays some virtues for us. And I was just asking for her help in her session. And she just kind of told me, just do it. Just do it. Which made me think of the wedding at came the wedding of Cana where she tells the servants, like, do whatever he tells you. So it was kind of like a way of saying, like, we believe Mary always, if we have a devotion to her, always leads us to Jesus. And that was it. She was just like, just do it. Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to abandon you. He, he knows what he's doing. So then I was like, okay. So then I was ordained a priest in 2018, a, a great joyous day with family and friends. There was five of us from the diocese. And it was, it was great joy. Then I began kind of the formal act of ministry. I was first assigned in Effingham and Shumway, Illinois for three years as what we call a parochial vicar. It's kind of associate pastor. And I helped out there. They had a grade school and a high school. And I got to teach some theology in high school. That was fun. And during like my last year of seminary, the bishop also asked me to be a chaplain for the Illinois Army National Guard. Uh, there was no Catholic chaplains uh, at that time in Illinois. So he asked me to do that. So that's been a great joy. I do that two, three days a month. Kind of, they call it the weekend warrior type thing. So let uh, me ask you about that. So when you're when you're a chaplain in the guard, are you a chaplain only to Catholics in the guard, or is this something that is a role that, in, in a military context, is uh, is that plus others mm -hmm. who may not be of the Catholic faith? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, you're a chaplain for everyone, for believers or non-believers. You're a chaplain for Catholics, Protestants, Muslim, Jewish, atheists, agnostic. You're a chaplain. Every soldier in your battalion, battalion's a couple units, so six, seven hundred soldiers. Every soldier you're a chaplain for. And then when it comes, what they, the distinction they describe is perform and provide. So I provide religious support to any soldier I just described, but I can't perform certain rituals. So if someone came to me saying they need to celebrate, say, a Baptist baptism, I can't perform that as a Catholic. My job would just be to connect them with a Baptist minister who could do that for them. Or say they needed uh, help with the Torah, maybe that's a Jewish shoulder or stuff. They're wanting to speak to a rabbi. Again, I'm not a rabbi, so I couldn't fulfill that, perform that for them. But I could help get them in touch with a rabbi, that type of thing. So, yeah, I've been doing that for three years now. And then this past year started here in Decatur, Illinois, pastor of Holy Family Parish. And it's been a great joy. Been here now, I don't know, six, seven months. You lose track of time. I am, am confident that they are blessed to have you there. One of the reasons I was really interested in having you as a guest on this program is after listening to you on the Diocese podcast and hearing some of this story that you've shared, is it so relatable? I mean, the struggles, the doubts, the joys, these are things that I think are 
things, experiences that are in common with people who are on a path to God and Mm -hmm. that they experience along that path. And it's really interesting as you talk about your experience in the Guard, National Guard. I mean, this is something in which you're dealing with people of a variety of religious backgrounds. Do you find that as you talk about spiritual things with people of different religious traditions, even different religions, that there is a spiritual commonality there, that somehow when you speak the language of the Spirit, it's something that you have in common? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because I've gotten to know more religious background through the National Guard, and especially I went to chaplain basic training, and you get the chat and talk, and for the most part, everyone's open to listening and discussing and dialoguing. They talk about the similarities and the differences. Now, some people get in combative way about that sometimes, but I found that most people are willing to have a conversation. And I think that's part of the work of the spirit, obviously, to bring us in and, and to talk about it, to talk about the deep realities. And I think most people, you know, like I would say my story is ordinary, right? But I think most people experience that, that God speaks to you in the ordinary, that we may not have these wild, crazy lives, but yeah, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and God doesn't speak. And most of the time, God is speaking in those ordinary experiences. You know, it's interesting you describe your story as ordinary. I find it extraordinary, but not in the sense that there's something different about you. It's just that when God moves in your life, as he does in other, the lives of others, it is something extraordinary. It's, it's yeah. not the common experience. And, and you're describing something that is real. You're describing an interactive relationship with God, not a philosophical God is an yeah. abstract philosophical uh, value or, or belief system. Sure. But God is actually interacting with you, you with, with God and God with you. Yeah. And that's real to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, it's real every to, day. Yeah. It's real to me. And it yeah. seems to me that when we talk with people of different religions or or different branches of christianity denominations whatever that sometimes the language of religion can be confusing divisive even devolve into contention but we speak the same language of the spirit hmm. which hence this podcast the spirit of god unites as we draw closer yeah. to god we draw closer to each other and you must experience that with the national guard yeah, as I was kind of mentioning there, it's obviously got to be a work of the Spirit of God is that we come together and we we chat about these things, right? We wouldn't know each other probably if it wasn't for the Spirit of God bringing us together. What I found fun was just kind of every day, like you're speaking that interactive relationship with God. Every day I begin with praying with the scriptures and that's it. I begin with this encounter. I, I describe what's on my heart when I read the scripture and pray with God, but I found that that's a common experience when I talk to other chaplains. And so we can kind of start there of chatting about our different prayer lives and sharing the experience that they've had with God and stuff like that. And I found too, that there's a hunger to learn about the different denominations or religions too. 
that if we're open to it, we can ask good questions in a curious nature, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to lead to contention. It can lead to just deeper understanding. It's like, well, I didn't know that about your tradition. So it's just kind of fun to learn. Well, I've learned things today in our conversation. And I have a lot to learn about my own religion, let alone others. <laughs> yeah. And and when I say religion, I'm using it in the in the general sense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints are Christian, but they're when you say Christian, well, that's a big tent. And even oh, yeah. when you say Catholic, I spent four and a half years in Egypt, and there, Catholic was Coptic Orthodox. You know, yeah, there's yeah. Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. The Roman Catholic Church was was in Egypt also. Had an opportunity to meet the senior cleric there for that. But there are all these different, I, I would say, religious languages that people speak, all seeking the same God. Yeah. And along their paths, having common experiences that, like you're saying, you, you can relate to. And when you speak that language of the Spirit, you find unity in the midst of religious diversity. Yeah, you find some harmony, you find friendship as well, that, you know, it's kind of like being friends with, say, like my best friend, and then I come to know his friends, you kind of have this mutual friend. And I found that that too, it can break down some back uh, barriers, because you're like, oh, you're friends with God too, you know, it just kind of, it helps bring people together. When I was in, in Iraq, I, in our church, we fast once a month. And, of course, fasting is part of Muslim life. When I was in Iraq, uh, I was dealing with a, a Muslim uh, judge and his investigator, who's a great friend of mine, Saad is his name, and the investigator. And I had a translator who was Iraqi Christian. And uh, when she found out I was fasting that day, she said, oh, you fast? And I said, oh, yes, we do. And she said, Why? And as I started to explain in the presence of this Muslim judge and his investigator, Saad, Saad joined in and the two of us explained fasting to this Christian woman. And for Saad and I, it was as if we were missionary companions or something like that, for lack of a better way to describe it. We were working on the same page having a common experience that we could share with each other from two different religions. And I think that it's God must be the father of us all, must be pleased when we talk to each other and love each other across religious differences. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it just seems you must you come face to face with that with the guard. So I, I appreciate you taking some time to talk about yeah, that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, at the military chaplaincy at its best, one of the things you'll hear them say is religious freedom for one is religious freedom for all. Absolutely. So if you say that this person can't practice this part of their religion, well, then what part of your religion are you willing to give up? And I, again, I'm talking about that kind of religion as vague there, but it's so important. If we don't have religious liberty, what are we going to turn into then fighting with each other over it? I don't think that's what God wants either. Well, I devoted the second episode of this podcast to uh, my thoughts on that subject of religious freedom and why it's important for the reasons that you're describing. Now, 
We could keep talking for a long time. I love this. But <laughs> as we wrap up this this discussion for purposes of this episode, what does all this mean for our listeners? Do you have a, any parting message that you'd like to share? That God thirsts for you. That God longs for you, loves you. That God wants a relationship with you. Sometimes those can seem cliche words, but... As a Catholic, you know, when I look at the crucifixion of Jesus, one of his final words is he says, I thirst. St. Mother Teresa talks about that, that that's his thirst for you, that he wants relationship with you. He wants to have that deep prayer life with you, that shared life with you. And it's kind of I shared and you described it really well of this interactive. That's what it, what God wants with us is not this abstract idea, these vague notions that God actually wants to be part of our prayer life, wants to talk with us, wants to be part of our family meal, wants us to see that this interaction with another person is not coincidence, that God has brought this together, or wants us to, to see our exercise as a great gift from Him. But to have this interactive, where shared life of everything, um, that's why friendship is such a good analogy for God that we share everything with our friends, our, our secrets, we share meals, we share time together. That's what the Lord God wants, which each of us, and the sad tragedy of life is God puts that out there for us, and sometimes we, we say no to it. And I would just encourage everyone, let yourself be led by it, let yourself say yes to it. It's a great joy. Father Mark, it's easy to see that you were indeed, in the eyes of God, cut out for the more pastoral role that you ended up playing. Thank you for ministering to us today. Thank you for being part of this experience that we're going to have as we follow these discussions in this podcast. And I'll just conclude, may God bless you in your spiritual path and in your ministry your service to others and service to God. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. God bless you as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of God Unites. Our next episode will feature a conversation with another Catholic priest, Father Rob Johnson, as he shares his own story of the faith journey that led him to become a priest. For that and other episodes, please check our God Unites YouTube channel or for links to both the video and audio versions of this and other episodes, visit our website at GodUnites.com. When you do, please follow or subscribe to our program and on YouTube, hit the like button. And please help spread the word to others by sharing a link to our website with your friends on social media or on your own website. This is God Unites.